spoken to you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And let's go to Luke chapter 4. I'm just going to switch up the sermon today because I would like to speak on freedom now for the rest of the sermon. Is it, uh, the service. Is it okay if I interrupt our sermon series and just speak on freedom? Luke chapter 4. At the end of the service, we will pray again for anyone that would like prayer for anything. That was not just a one and done. We'll do it again. But I believe there was something special that needed to happen there and that people needed to step out in that faith taking that moment. The old-time preachers used to say that the, life, uh, the opportunity of a lifetime must be seized in the lifetime of the opportunity. In other words, that sometimes there are expiration dates on things that God is doing in our life. Not everything, uh, God is, not everything that passes in our life is God going to give us second and third chances on. So you need to be careful to be obedient to get up and to move whenever God asks you to move. In other words, uh, another example would be when the woman with the issue of blood saw Jesus passing by, if she wouldn't have taken that time to reach out to receive that healing, she may never have had another chance. Now, thank God there are uh, many things in our lives that we get second and third chances over. How many know God has been patient with you? Amen? I said, how many of you, how many of you know God's been patient with you? I want to hear a good amen because I know he's been patient with me. But I do not want you to be in the habit, brothers and sisters, to think that because you've had other opportunities presented to you after you've passed up the one that came to you, I don't want you to be in the habit of that because no one is promised tomorrow. As you think about my family, pray for my father. He had a heart attack last week. He's in his mid-70s, and he didn't even know for sure what it was, but he knew something was wrong. As an older man, something is wrong, so he goes to the hospital, and guess what they tell him? Hey, you had a heart attack. Well, how many know the call that we received last week could have been a lot different than my dad saying, I had a heart attack. It could have been my mom saying, your dad is gone, because there's times where people have heart attacks, and that's it. People have a stroke, and that's it. Then there's sometimes where you have it, and you come back from it. That's the way I look at sin and the way I look at the, uh, you know, the temptation of this world. There are sometimes you'll do it, and you'll mess up, and you'll come back, and you'll be like, okay, I'm back in church, Pastor. I'm, I'm good. This is where I want to be. Yeah, but then there's other times your car doesn't make it here because it got crashed on that highway. There's times where you're not going to make it here because something's going to happen in your life and you're not going to have that other opportunity. And you need to seize the opportunities when you have them. So the opportunity of a lifetime needs to be seized in the lifetime of that opportunity. Make sure on your um, shelf where God has given you opportunities, you're not letting those expire. You're using them in Jesus' name. Can I get an Amen. Amen. Now let's talk a little bit more today about living in freedom, and this will be good for all of us, and I'll be preaching to myself just as I'll be preaching to you. Uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 16, Jesus went to Nazareth where, he had, Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day, he went into the synagogue. So that was like their church, as you are here today. That's what he did, and that was his custom. He stood up to read, uh, and the scroll from the, he stood up to read from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, and that was handed to him. So he's going to get a part of the Bible, right? He's going to read it. This is Jesus going to church, reading the Bible. Unrolling it, thinking about a scroll here, he found the place where it is written, and now we're going to see where he's reading from. This is the quote, and it's from Isaiah. The Spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Can I hear an amen to that? Isn't that powerful? That's Jesus reading the Bible, and this is a portion of Scripture that is applicable to us today. Then he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant, sat down. The eyes of everyone are now on him. Like in the synagogue, they're all looking at him going, what just happened here? They're fastened on him. In verse 21, he began by saying, today. Somebody say, today. Thank you. Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Praise God. I thank God that Jesus said there was a day that Isaiah 
was fulfilled. Now let's go to the context he was reading. Isaiah 61 is a good Bible teacher. I always want you to know your Bible and the context of it because there's a lot more to it than just what he read. Isaiah chapter 61 was a promise of the Messiah and what his ministry would be like. You've read just the highlighted portion. Obviously, it's the important portion that Jesus wanted us to know, but let's continue on to see what else it says. Well, Starting from proclaiming good news to the poor, it says here, he sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. And if you notice there in the Luke version, if he has up both tabs, it doesn't say the brokenhearted. And that's because either Jesus was summarizing what he was reading, skipping lines, because obviously he couldn't read it all, or he was reading out of a different version that we have here. Either way, notice the encouragement in the middle of the freedom is also healing of the brokenhearted. Looking back at Isaiah 61, now see that it says, he came to also bind up the brokenhearted. Then he goes on, or then it goes on to say what we've already heard, proclaim for freedom of the captives, release for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then now notice this part as it goes on. And as, as it says here, the day of vengeance. Everybody say vengeance. Thank you, the day of vengeance of our God. So it's not only going to be a good time, it's also going to be hard for some people. In other words, if you don't let Jesus Christ deliver you from your sins or your situations, those very things will be what he judges you by, and then you will suffer his punishment. But he wants to comfort all who mourn, provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. This is some of the most beautiful um, scriptures in the Bible here. To give them a crown of beauty. Think about that. A crown. A crown of beauty instead of what? Ashes. You know, instead of something dirty, smudged all over your face, you get a crown of beauty, the oil of joy, and they used to use oils, and now I know those are coming back. Some, some people in our church are selling uh, essential oils. Anybody into oils? Yeah, come on, some essential oil folks here. The oil of joy instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. How many know a garment of praise is better than Gucci? How many know you would rather have a garment of praise than wear Gucci? Amen? A garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And now watch this. They will be called oaks of righteousness. Well, who's the they? The they who needed the deliverance in the previous verses. So they went from being busted and disgusted to receiving the power of God set as example as oaks of righteousness. Talk about a transformation. They went from being addicted, in prison, poor, wearing the garments of despair to now being called the oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord, and highlight that last part, please, for the display of his splendor. Do you know that I stand before you today as an oak of God's righteousness, but I used to be a little dirty weed? I used to be a thistly, dirty weed full of all of my sin in bondage. And now I've went from going from being a weed to an oak of righteousness. That sounds like something only God can do. I know people do, you know, personal transformation. There's a lot on the internet, you know, for self-help and things like that. But if you notice, it's shallow. It doesn't really change from the inside out. It makes a vain person now vain about the new thing that they did. Let me tell you, this worked for me, and I did all of this, and let me sell you this, and now you can get this. It's like vanity and self-help. I look at them, and I go, I don't see the love of Christ in it. I see the love of self. And it looks appealing because it works, right? Like they got off drugs. They stopped drinking and smoking. It's real popular right now in, in the world of, you know, like value men and value women to not have sex before marriage, not because you're a Christian, but just because you want to be a person of value. These are trendy things going on and to manifest your future and to get rid of all the bad habits. Okay, that's popular, but you know what I see in those people doing it? I see the same vanity and the love of sin that I see in the very ones who are addicts. In other words, they didn't crucify the self. They just painted up the self. You know, what do you want today? Do you want a renovation or a rebirth? See, Christianity is a rebirth. It's not a renovation. People can renovate themselves for a little while, and it can look good, and they can hold themselves together. 
but it doesn't work in the end. The Bible says it like this, all the glories of men are like the flowers of the field. They're here today and gone tomorrow. And how many of you who like flowers have seen some flowers go away? Are the flowers still here, y'all? Not too many. I mean, not, I'm not a gardener. There might be some struggling to hang on, but they're, they're mostly all gone away now. And that's what the Bible says, even the best among humans and what they produce, it's just going to go away. In another scripture, it says that man is like a vapor here today, gone tomorrow. So this type of living that we're talking about is not just clean living, getting on your diet, avoiding the bad habits of life. It's not that today I'm on the same level, say, as Oprah or, you know, Tony Little or uh, one of those self-help speakers, you know. No, 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 Tony Robinson and all that. No, no, it's, it's not like we're all the same. If Tony Robinson has not denied himself but only done self-help, everything he has will evaporate in the end, and he'll be sentenced to hell forever. Why will God take vengeance on Tony Robbins? And I'm, I'm just saying an example. I don't know if he's a Christian or not. I'm just saying for what he stands for because I know in his self-help he doesn't preach the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, the centrality of a, of a Christ-centered life. Why will that happen? Because God made Tony Robinson more for him, more than just for himself. You and I were made for more than just ourselves. We were made for the glory of God. Go to Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2, and then we'll get back to Isaiah. But the Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, what Jesus did for us, Jesus being in the very nature of God, took on flesh and made himself like us, becoming the God-man. And he did all of this by becoming, he did all of this to become obedient to death for us, even death on the cross. Please scroll down, my brother. Thank you. And he did all of that, death on the cross, the work of salvation, so that that what we might be saved. Starting in verse 9, brother, please scroll down. Thank you. God exalted him to the highest place. See, because Jesus put others above himself, he now is exalted to the highest place. He didn't do it to sell more tickets. He didn't do it to sell a best-selling uh, book. He didn't do it to be hung up as a poster, to be just idolized in that way. He gave his life for us so that we could live and we could have what we needed. He did it totally selflessly. And there is a difference, my friends, because not everything that glitters is gold. There's a lot of people in the world that want to offer you self-help, but it will end in self-destruction. Jesus said to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow him. And in that place of salvation, now you'll find your purpose. So Jesus did it, and now Jesus is glorified to the highest place, given a name above every name. Now watch this, that the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, we get saved not even for our own selves. We get saved for the glory of God. God wants us to go to heaven and not hell. When you go to hell, you're going against God's purpose for your life. Thank you, my brother. I think we got it from here. Thank you. The Bible teaches us that you were made for more than just yourself. You were made to be enjoyed by God. Do you know what hell is? Hell is taking your toys and getting away from all of your friends, going to isolation and saying, well, I don't want to play with you then. That's what hell actually is. Hell is not God's desire. It's your desire or a sinner's desire to be away from God. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and uh, you're, you know, you're getting a little bit offended, you're getting a little bit upset, and you get to the point where you say, you're just not worth it anymore? You're not worth it. And you ever say, I mean, I mean, I know we're all Christian. We never say that. But have you ever heard your friends say that? Something along the lines of you're not worth it. You know what someone going to hell is saying to God? You're not worth it. I don't want to deal with you. I don't want to hear about your commands. I just want to go with whatever feels good. I just want to do whatever I want to do. It's not worth it. You know, you're not worth it, God. You're not worth trying to understand, you know, a lot of people struggling with their sexuality. I, I grant that to them. They, there may be people really struggling with that right now. But if they don't want to do it Christ's way, you know what they're saying? God, you're not worth trying to understand how you made me. You're not worth it. 
There's people today being tempted by things. I get tempted by things. And whenever we give in to our sin, whenever we say the sin is the easier route, you know what we're saying? Is Jesus, you're not, watch this, worthy. See, worth is how we get the thing being worthy. You give your money for what it's worth because you believe that it's worthy of that. And now when we turn our backs on God, not only are we just saying you're not worth it, we're saying you're not worthy. You're not worthy. And yet the Bible says he's worthy and worth us going down on our knees confessing him as Lord. But is that just to be mere beggars, slaves? Oh, God, forgive me. I'm on my knees, you know. And that's why I have so much against the way the Roman Catholic Church expresses their faith. I'm not saying everything they do is wrong. I'm just saying a lot of their expression makes Christians out to be groveling. You can't touch, you can't touch the communion, you filthy thing. You only a priest can do. And now we found out how filthy many of them are. Amen. I said, amen, Protestants. I mean, we have our own troubles, I understand, but at least we don't cover it up one after another after another. I mean, it's, it's, it's hideous what's going on there, right? I'm not saying all Catholics are like that. I'm saying in the priesthood, they cover this up, and it's a shame. And yet, these very priests, even the best of them, make people feel like they're just maggots. Come to church as a maggot. You can't touch this. You can't touch that. You can't even confess your own sins to God. you got to have me do it for you. You confess to me, and then I'll talk to God. And don't you dare think you go right to him. You better talk to his mother first. You see, they take away what Jesus actually gave us. Jesus gave us a sense of worth. So when we say, Jesus, you're worthy, he doesn't leave us in the place of groveling slaves and servants. Though I serve God, I am a slave in that sense, but I'm a slave by choice to God, and he's a good master. I'm not kidnapped. I'm not being beaten and abused. I don't need to blink three times to get me out of here. I'm not in a cult. I'm serving the lover of my soul. So in the same way that I'm a slave to my wife is the same way I'm a slave to God. I'm a slave to my wife's love and her affection and to our marriage. I don't want to do anything else. She controls a part of my life because I trust her with it. And God forbid when it goes wrong and marriages break people's heart, I know it can happen. But we need to be careful in who we give ourselves to because once we give them, they become this, you know, they become this controlling factor in our life, whether we want it or not. And so God is saying, who is your master? Who's your daddy, in other words? Well, God's my father. I can trust him, even though people will let me down. Who's my Lord? Jesus is my Lord. Who's my, who's my master? It's Jesus, right? Because he's not going to let me down. But I need to still live in harmony with people, and I need to serve people. But I'm more than a, a groveling, begging servant. I'm an oak of righteousness. Going back to Isaiah 61, the Bible says they shall be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for his splendor. And then it goes on in verse 4. It says, they, these very people who have been set free, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Some of you here only know gangland. And I was showing it to my friend the other day about Chicago, and some of the people of our church have their family members there. And some of you, that's all you ever have known. But how many know Humble Park hasn't always been gangland? How many know the South Side wasn't always a dangerous place to drive? You see, we've changed, haven't we? Our society has gotten a lot worse, not better. And because of that, now we're in bondage. Think about that. Because of the culture and the places that we've come from, we're in bondage now. And Jesus is saying, I want to set you free. And after you're set free, I want you to go back out there to those places that used to be the slave masters of your life, the wicked ones of your life, I want you to go back there and rebuild those places. I want you to go back there and be the change. So I look at my own culture, the Kurt Cobain culture. When I was a kid, Kurt Cobain was my favorite rock star. Um, Cypress Hill, one of my favorite rappers. Okay, I listened to a little bit of everything back there in the 90s, but those were my two main guys. Kurt Cobain committed suicide, put a shotgun to his mouth and blew his brains out. But before he did, he wrote about his life and left a suicide note for his family. You can read it online. I remember getting that news and not being phased by it because I really didn't care so much. I wasn't an emotional person. 
But now I look back on it and I realize it did affect me in ways I didn't understand. I wasn't like some of my friends that were crying and missing him like that. But what it did for me is it settled into my heart the reality like, It doesn't matter how popular you are, how much money you have, how much sex, fame you have. Life is pointless anyways. So you might as well just do whatever you like. And when you're done, you can leave. So you could take your life, in other words. That's the mentality I started living with. And I'm not saying I was the worst of the worst, but how many know it doesn't take very long before that destroyed me from the inside out? And of course, it was my own choice. I can't blame Kurt Cobain. I can't blame Cypress Hill and these people that I, you know, watched and idolized or my older friends. I was always the younger guy, the little runt around the big guys. I was a high school dropout at 16 in the place that I went and moved and lived in, in the houses I lived in were people that are in their 20s. So I grew up in the trap houses, in other words. I grew up there after being a white kid from the suburbs. I was growing up in the hood by choice. So I always used to tell the joke, y'all running from the hood, I'm running to the hood. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm telling you for real. I would be in these neighborhoods, and the kids were like, where are you from, white boy? And I'm like, I'm from Arlington Park. And they're like, why are you here? <laughs> why, are you, why are you up in this place? You should not be here. And I'm like, man, I like to get high. I like to fight. I like to do drugs. This is where I live. You know what I'm saying? This is the porch I'm on right now. Deal with this where I'm at. But in their mind, they were thinking, man, if I was brought up in your neighborhood, I wouldn't be doing this. I'm not doing this by choice. You made a choice to be out here. I'm doing this because I have to. You see, all of us chose those paths, though. My, my path was to go where I went. That person decided to stay on the porch. He didn't have to stay there. That, that dude I hung out with, he could have made a whole different path for his life, even though he might have had more trouble and more issues in his life. I'm not comparing the plights that we faced. I'm not trying to forget my white privilege, in other words. I know, I know what I was privileged with. But the point is, you didn't have to, Pookie didn't have to stay there slanging. Are you listening? He didn't have to do that. They didn't have to carry a gun. Nobody forced them to do that. And yet, think about this. That scripture was still there that we just read today. And what Jesus did had already been done. And I'm living in a world as if all I know is the devil. All I know is hopelessness. And yet I was born and raised in church. I knew these stories, at least I had heard them before, or somebody had read them to me before, and yet I was living like God didn't even exist, that all I needed to live for was myself, and whenever I was done with the party, I could leave whenever I wanted to, because that's what Kurt Cobain did. And yet it ate up my soul, tore me up from the inside. And so when I became a Christian, November 5th, 1995, I understood at that moment that there was something greater in life than just what I wanted to get out of it for those few moments of pleasure. And as I became a Christian and repented of my sin, as many of you here have, you know what I'm talking about, and you know the different steps that you've taken to get where you are today, I then saw my future open up. And it looked entirely different from the way it looked the day before. So November 5th, 1995 is when I got saved. And November 5th, 2002 just passed by, uh, 2022. Let's see how many years I make now uh, serving the Lord. Anybody quick at math? 27 years serving Jesus. That means I've been serving Jesus longer than many of you have been alive. (laughs) Seriously, man. So, like, I've already been there, done that, became a Christian, became a pastor, and some of y'all still doing that. You know, you you tempted by that. And I get it, and I'm not looking down on you. I'm just saying my life has been a whole different journey after that. I've now been a Christian longer than I've been alive as a non-Christian. As a non-Christian, even including my baby years, was 18 years old. Now I've been a Christian for 27 years. And when I look at this scripture, it's all that I can see right now because that's what I do. Yesterday we were out at, uh, at Pulaski and Madison. You know, that's not by accident. That's because we love Pulaski and Madison. We love the community. I was out there planting the seeds of God again. I'm an oak of righteousness. I'm rebuilding, amen? And I'm out there because God called me to be out there. And I have a purpose. And, and, you know, and I'm not coming out there alone. I have a wife and children and a beautiful life to look forward to. But I was the one in Isaiah 61. Just scroll up for me, please, brother. I was the one right here that was poor, man. I was the one that showed up. Go all the way up, please. I, to chapter 61, verse 1. I remember showing up to my friend's house one time in the suburbs. 
wearing my underwear. Listen to me. This is embarrassing, but I'm going to tell it to you, man. Wearing my boxers and a vest made of like cotton or something, like a cotton vest in boxers. My kid's looking at me like crazy. You better look at me crazy because I was on drugs, man. I remember showing up to my friend's house in the suburbs. Listen, this, this is real. Many of you have not even heard this from me, and you've been in the church for a while because I'm speaking to somebody right here. In a vest, like you would wear like, like to Easter or something, like on top of like a dress shirt, right? Like I'm wearing a vest in my boxers at my friend's house. And he looked at me in a way that I have never had anybody look at me. Like, what is wrong with you? Why are you here? And I tried to be like, like normal, like, man, you want to hang out? You want to do something? Because I was living out of my car at that point, couch surfing, and he denied me, listen to me, he denied me entrance into his house. I was like 16 or 17 years old on drugs. Imagine that, taking that journey to that place. And I have friends today that grew up in houses nicer than mine that live on the streets of Chicago. One of my friends always comes out to come see him. We tried to meet up with, I tried to meet up with that friend to meet them, but I can't get in touch with them. So I still have friends that are homeless. I have siblings. My sister died drinking and driving. Some of you know my testimony. Other of my siblings, drunkards, alcoholics, living their whole life, right, as alcoholics. I understand this world. I've lived in it. I've seen it. And this is what blows my mind. That's who I used to be, but this is who I am now. I cannot even put it into words what that feels like to take that journey. I wish for every single one of you, you get to experience that same thing but not in the same way I did. I don't want you to get brought to that point. I don't want you to. You know, some of you have already been there worse. Some of you would say, I showed up to my friend's house naked. <laughs> I remember showing up to one place preaching the gospel, and there was a naked man running all throughout the projects. Seriously. And I would hope that man would be in this service today. He was running through the projects naked. We had to tackle him, pray for him, and then help him. Imagine that. Imagine your uncle running through the streets naked, man, on drugs, losing their mind. We were just out at the west side yesterday praying for people, hunched over, you know, on those drugs, man, meth and all of these things, teeth falling out. It's sad. I'm telling you, but those people belong here because Jesus has a plan for their life. I used to fit in with those people because I was one of those people. And Jesus looked at me differently. Jesus cared about me. Jesus cares about every person on this list. Let's just go through it quickly together. He cares about the poor. The Bible says Jesus came to preach the gospel to the poor. He cares about those who are poor. He doesn't look down on them. In our world today, we, we understand that there's the haves and the have-nots, but everyone now wants to have, and they want to boast about it, right? And they want to put it on their Facebook. They want to put it on their Instagram. But hardly does anybody want to tell you how they felt when they didn't have it. You know why? Because now that they have it, that's all they base their identity in. They don't want to be honest with you and tell you, man, before I had a million followers, followers, I felt like a loser. They just want to keep smiling and say, follow me, follow me, follow me. But they're not being honest with you and telling you what they really feel like or felt like when they didn't have followers. That's why you can have a Miss America commit suicide not too long ago. It's because whether it's Miss America or Kurt Cobain, when you feel like life's not fun anymore, you want to get out. And it hurts when nobody understands you. So there's two kinds of poverty. There's poverty of your soul, and then there's poverty of your money. There's people that are poor in both ways. They don't have any money, and then they're poor on the inside. They don't feel like anybody loves them. They don't feel like anybody cares about them. They're poor inside and outside. And then there's others that are rich outside, but they're poor inside. And they're miserable, but they have a lot on the outside. You know that kids in my neighborhood committed suicide, and they were growing up in the suburbs, committed suicide. One of my friends down the block committed suicide, and he was way better looking than me, got more girls than me. As a matter of fact, some of the guys that I actually knew, guys that committed suicides were the best looking dudes that I knew and were the biggest players. I couldn't believe one of my friends when he committed suicide. I said, dude, you have everything I want. <laughs> and then they told me, yeah, Chris took his life. And I'm like, what? 
This dude has, he has the looks, he has the chicks, he, I stayed in his apartment, he had the money. This dude had everything, and he just took his life. Because you can be poor inside and you can be poor outside, and sometimes people are both. But Jesus doesn't care about that. Jesus doesn't neglect those who are poor on the outside to just go be with the rich on the outside. Jesus is not showing up today just looking for members on Michigan Avenue. Jesus is hanging out on Wacker Drive. Jesus is going to the tent cities over there and reaching out. Jesus is not just concerned about your CEO. Jesus is concerned about you and your janitor, everybody on your job. And then if you're rich today and you feel like nobody gets you because everybody just hates on you for having money and success, God understands you if today you feel broken on the inside. Because God understands what it's like for people to have everything but to feel broken and lost. That's why people like Robin Williams couldn't have anybody to turn to when it got the worst for them because they felt like, man, they had to entertain everybody. They've got to be everybody's entertainment. Man, look at me. I'm a comedian. I got hundreds of millions of dollars from this. I can't tell them my life sucks because I don't want to look like that dude. I don't want to look like that. I want everyone to think about me this way. And yet God knows exactly who we are on the inside, and he doesn't care about what people think. He comes for the poor. Can I hear an amen? He comes for the brokenhearted. As I mentioned before, you know, now being in a marriage, you know, I serve my wife. I'm down, down for my wife, ride or die. But there's people who go in those directions all the time, including pastors, and their wives leave them. Husbands leave you. Wives leave you. People leave. And what happens? You get brokenhearted. I'm a parent of six children. But parents leave their children. I couldn't imagine leaving a child, but many of you grew up in homes where you didn't know your father or your mother because they weren't there. They were distant in your life, even some that were there. You might have been brokenhearted in a relationship. You might have been brokenhearted by your friends. I remember being teased and bullied as a kid. Those older kids I would hang out with would bully me all the time. I remember being brokenhearted by that, brokenhearted by the neighborhood, brokenhearted by my culture, and you just get brokenhearted. Now, some people might say, well, Joe, you know, your issue's not that big of a deal, man. I, I got abused. I got molested. You know, Joe, that's really brokenhearted. But listen, everybody's heart, when it breaks, it's broken. When your heart breaks, it's broken. I'm not trying to say one is equal to the other and how it gets broken. That's true. Molestation is a lot worse than getting picked on as a kid. But when my heart was broken, it was broken. No longer worked. If your car is broke, it's broke. It doesn't matter if it's a Lamborghini that's broke or it's a cheap 1985 Toyota camera that I used to drive. It don't, when it's broke, it's broke. It doesn't take you anywhere. And when your heart is broke, you can't go into new relationships. You can't experience new life. Jesus came for those people. Jesus came for us. Jesus came to set captives free and prisoners free. Not only those legitimately in, in, in jail cells, but those who are bound to their own issues of life. And as we prayed for people before, we now have more mental illness than we ever had before. You want to know why? Because we now know more than we ever known before. You know why there wasn't many germaphobes in the 1800s? Because they didn't know about germs. <laughs> Now we know about germs. We freak out about germs. Come on, somebody. You know why there wasn't as many suicidal people in other generations like where our grandparents came from? Because they didn't know about the guy down the road having more than them. Everybody was with them in that village. They didn't think to themselves, man, I'm more worse off than the other guy. Now every time you turn on your phone, you know just who got those new Jordans. You know who, who got that new PlayStation 5. You know who got that raise. You know who's taking that vacation. You know who got that promotion. They didn't know that before. See, our knowledge, which we thought was going to give us freedom, actually put us in bondage. The more that they taught us that we came from the goo through the zoo to you, the more that we learned about science, the more despairing we became. Because now we're just animals. There's no beauty to humanity. We're just animals. There's no dignity to a human being. That's why we can kill our own children in the womb, and we became prisoners. Think about that. Humanity has become prisoners to their own knowledge. That's why the Bible says that the tree that tempted the, the Adam and Eve, that tempted them, was the knowledge of good and evil. Now we know all of these things, and we keep choosing evil because good is so hard, isn't it? You know on your phone you can take classes, right? You know on your phone you can learn other languages for free, right? You know on your phone you can do science stuff. They have apps for that. How many of you used your phone for that this week? But instead, how many of you used your phone to watch those stupid TikToks over and over again? Instagram. Now, I know some of you used it for good. I, I, I'm not saying all of us do this, but you get it. It's like as a mass society, 
We're not, we're not even thinking like, man, like, man, today I could learn French, man. I, I could learn Chinese. I could start a business in China today. Oh, you know what? I'm going to learn today about physics, man. I'm, you know, I'm going to learn about this. No, man, we're, look at this stupid cat. Look at this cat. You see how funny that cat is? The cat slapped its owner. Look at this cat. Oh, man, you see this dude right here? He fell down. Look how he fell down. Isn't that funny how he fell down? Look how you fall down. I'm going to get you on this video, you know. And it's like, it's like we spend our life just, just wasting it. Just, we, we don't even choose good. Well, we, we, right here, it's a smartphone used by dumb people. We have the opportunity to put our face in his book, but we can't put it in the, on Facebook, right? We, we don't want to make time for the things that count because why? We want to be numb. We want to forget. We don't want to live in this world. That's why if you think about these video games that are so popular, even for adults right now, you know, Grand Theft Auto, all that is is just a virtual world where you can go around, slap people, kill people, drive whatever car you want off a bridge, start over again. And all these people are just playing fantasy because they don't like their life. They don't like what they look like in the mirror. That's why they want to dress up like someone else, like an avatar. Then they take it too far and catfish people, right, because they don't like their reality. And yet the Bible says Jesus came to set prisoners free to take us out of that matrix, to take us out of that world where we're always trying to impress one another by these things that leave us all empty to begin with, to stop keeping up with the Kardashians and start keeping up with Jesus, to stop seeking followers but to be a follower of Christ. And then from there, yeah, if we become successful, that's cool. Yeah, if we get followers, that's cool. If we get influence, that's cool. But we didn't do it in vanity. We didn't do it for ourselves. We didn't, in other words, bring more people into our jail cell so they could be miserable like us. We set them free as we were free. And then the Bible says that he took all of those people, he took the poor, he took the brokenhearted, he took the captives, he took the prisoners, and you know what Jesus said to them? He said, this is your day of freedom. And now it's our choice what we do with this day of freedom. Because right now, I want to live free. Man, I don't want to go back to those things. And, and trust me, having been free from so many things in my life, I still get tempted to get tangled up in that world. I look at my phone and all the time that I've wasted, and then I go back to my kids and I go, that's most important. So I don't want to allow that to stop me. I don't want these things to stop me, this, this phone to stop me from being with my kids. I don't want my temper. I don't want my lust. I don't want my desire of success to hold me back from that which is most important. What's more important than success is faithfulness. What's more important than money is relationships. What's more important than fame is having respect and honor from your peers. Amen? And what's more important than just spending money on yourself is rebuilding the communities that were once tore down because of what you and others did. That's why we have to go out to the schools. That's why we have to go out to the communities I have to go to Pulaski and Madison. I belong out there. Those are my people, the drug addicts, those that are selling the drugs. Those, I mean, whether it's the addict or the one selling the drug, both of those are my people. The pimp and the prostitute, that's my people. And, but I only don't just want to go there where on the external you can see the poverty. But I also want to preach like we did downtown during Lollapalooza to the rich and the famous, to all the movie stars, to everybody that's a who's who and all the college students and all the power players of our city. I want to preach to them because their poverty in their spirit is going to lead to eternal death. Now going back to Jesus in Luke 4, in closing, please, uh, whoever's on the piano, would you please come up? Notice how this ends right here. Notice this. Jesus talk, taught them about freedom. Jesus taught them exactly what I just taught you today, and yet they don't want to receive it. Watch this right here. He rolls back the scroll, chapter 4, verse 20 of Luke, gives it back to the attendant, sits down. The eyes of everyone on the synagogue is on him. He began to say, today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And how many know if that day it was fulfilled? Today we're still reaping that. It still works today. Amen? From the time Jesus did all of the things back then, it hasn't stopped. It's still today. Today's our day of freedom. And now look at verse 22. All spoke well of him, like, hey, he's a good dude. And were amazed at his gracious words that came from his lips. And then they said, isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Hold on. You mean he tells you who he is? That he's God in the flesh, in other words. He's come to do these things. Man, the spirit of the Lord is on me, Isaiah 61. That can't just apply to just any old person. 
and yet now they want to reduce him down to what they know. Oh, man, isn't this Joseph's son? Instead of them being like, man, you are the one we've been waiting for, the son of God who's the son of man. You're our Messiah who's come from heaven, born of a virgin, as Isaiah said, you know, Christmas time coming up, right? Like, you're the one. Instead of them receiving him and that freedom, they want to pull Jesus down to their level and say, aren't you just a normal dude like us? Isn't Joseph your daddy? And think about how often when we go out to preach the message of Jesus, people want to pull us down. When I first started preaching after I became a Christian, the very first place I went was to the place I used to skateboard in Fryman Square downtown. It was during the festival, Three Rivers. And I started street preaching out there to my friends, the skateboarders, you know, those who did drugs. They were all in that same area. And you know what? They started mocking and making fun of me. Aren't you that dude? Aren't you just that guy? Why should we have to listen to you? Why do we need to pay attention to you? You're nobody important. You're nobody. But see, I came out there as a somebody, because Jesus Christ has saved me. Amen? So I like to tell everybody, I'm just a nobody telling everybody about a somebody who can change, any, change anybody. And so here I am now. I am that somebody that's been changed. I was a nobody, but now I'm a somebody because he changed me. And out of those times, some of the people started listening. Not everyone, and they still are my friends today, but they started listening. They said, man, if God did that for Joe, man, God, do that for me. And they started getting serious about God. Everywhere we go, we need to make that kind of an impact and not be discouraged because they, you know, there's a group of people who don't want what we have. Jesus didn't quit because they tried to pull him down. I have people all the time trying to pull me down. Man, what are you doing out here? And I've even shared this with you before. When we chose this as our facility to start a church and I was out there preaching, you want to talk about reverse racism, a Puerto Rican woman got up in my face and she says, white boy, this is our neighborhood. We don't want you here. We don't want your church here. A Puerto Rican woman, I'm not talking like a girl. I'm talking like a woman, like a grown woman, like she could be a mom. She got in my face and said, white boy, you don't belong here. Now, you might say, once again, that's nothing compared to the racism of the past. I'm not trying to say it is, but I was out here to rebuild a city. I was out here to rebuild. I was out here to help. I was out here to preach the gospel. And her reception to me wasn't, welcome to the neighborhood, white boy. Let me cook you up some arroz con condulas. That wasn't her welcome, but I'm glad, I'm glad some Boricuas did welcome me, praise God. But that wasn't her welcome to me. Her welcome to me was, get out of here. Did I get out of here, though? I'm still here. I'm still here, my sister. I'm still here. I'm going to keep being here. Amen? And they may say something to you like that. And they may say, black boy, why are you in this white neighborhood? They may say to you, Hispanic, why are you here? Why are you at this college? Why are you doing what you do? Because I'm here because of God. You can't let anybody push you out of what God brought you to. This is, you know, people, people read the Bible to try to see black and white. I read the Bible to follow the red. I follow what Jesus said. Amen? I'm not here. I'm not here to try to prop up my race, even though there's only one race, the human race. But I'm not here for Italians and Polish people. I'm here for kingdom culture. Amen? I'm not here for my culture. I'm here for kingdom culture. And I want to encourage you today. Don't miss what Jesus is doing because who he's using. You could have stayed in your seat. Maybe some did because you said, I don't have anything to go get from that dude. Why? Man, he's not dressed like Father Tom. He don't look special. He got a jean jacket he can barely fit in. Come on now. I'm somewhere between a medium in this thing. I'm like, man, Lawrence picked it out for me, but I'm like, I don't know if it quite fits. You may not see me wear this one again. I'm trying though. This, man, this man right here is my fashion designer. You might be like, man, this guy is not impressive. Why, why should I go up to him? Why should I let him pray for me, man? He don't have a big church. He's not impressive. He doesn't have riches. He doesn't look cool. He wears weird shoes. What are those? I don't know. You tell me. They're comfortable, though. But here's the point. I know Jesus, and I'm going to rebuild that which was broken down. Every person I ever sold drugs to, I'm going to bring a 1,000 more to heaven. Amen. 
any girl that I ever abuse, I'm going to bring a hundred daughters into heaven. I'm going to, a thousand, I'm going to teach them to love Jesus and, and to be pure and whole. I'm going to give back to the community of females from whatever I took as a sinner. From any, any crimes that I've ever committed, I'm going to, for every dollar that I ever stole, I'm going to give a hundred thousand back to the community. And I'm not going to let anybody stop me because I'm free. And, and my freedom means more to me than anything. Going back to that passage in Luke, please. Jesus didn't stop just because they wanted to reduce him down to Joseph's son, which we know he technically wasn't. He was born of a virgin, not from the seed of Joseph. Joseph was just his caretaker, loving and providing for him. Jesus said to them, surely you will quote this proverb at me, physician, heal yourself, or do something impressive that we can all see. And you will tell me, do here in your hometown what we've heard you do in Capernaum. So do it again. Like we've heard you raise people from the dead and heal people. Do it for us. Like prove it. And then Jesus said, truly I tell you, no prophet is accepted in his home in his hometown. You see, even the people that know you the most may reject you the most. But you can't let that stop you. There may be people right now that, that take comfort in you being on the same level as them. They don't want you to be an eagle. They want you to stay down here when the chickens are at. And the chickens, you know, they walk in their own feces. And so they used to feces. They used to that. And they see you now, you know, looking like an eagle flying high. You went to church. You free. You're not who you used to be. And these chickens get jealous. And they're going to tell you, man, come down here and show us a thing or two. Prove it to us. And say, no, I'm not coming for that. But I will come to rebuild. I will come to change. But I'm not coming to prove anything to you. I'm not coming to impress you. I'm coming to see you change like how I change. You can be an eagle too. And then he gives them this parable. Notice this. Or this story that's kind of like a parable. He goes into the Old Testament. He says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut up for three and a half years and there was a severe famine throughout that land, yet Elijah was not sent to any of them, not to any of his own people, to his race, to his nationality, but he was sent to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon who was one of the enemies of God who, who weren't always nice to Israelites. He wasn't sent to a person in Israel of his kind, he was sent to another group. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha, that was Elijah's student, his understudy, the prophet, yet none of them was cleansed, but Naaman the Syrian was cleansed. What does this teach me? Is that Jesus is not picking us based on what we look like to others. He doesn't care. Jesus will go to the other side of the tracks and get the ones who wear red to bless them if you've been the one wearing blue. God today will show up in China and do miracles there and let America go into hell in a handbasket if we don't want it. Are you listening? God will go to the ones that we perceive as the total opposite. God will bring revival to Belmont and Clark through a bard if, if they'll listen to him and forget all the churches. Wouldn't that be crazy? All of a sudden, you hear about a transgender getting saved, shutting down their bar, starting to have church, and miracles start happening there. And all these churches over here with the big steeples and all the people, dry as a bone. Man, I'll be going to that church. You understand what I'm saying? If revival happens in this city, I'm supporting it wherever it's at. It could be a dude just getting out of jail with tattoos all over his face and a teardrop over his eye. Man, if God's following him and moving, I'm helping him. There's a story in Argentina and Buenos Aires when the revival came out. It happened so quickly through Carlos and Acondia that the churches had no idea what happened by the time he was filling up stadiums. Pastors started coming to Carlos and Acondia asking, man, can we work your altars? Because he was just a young evangelist on fire for the Lord. He served in his church, but it was a small church. So all the big who's who in Argentina, they didn't know anything about this dude. All they knew is that everybody from their church was going out to these revivals. Man, where are you going? Where are you going? Man, I'm going to the soccer stadium. Man, there's revival over there. So these pastors clued into it. Some of them became his best friends. Sergio Scatolini and uh, these other brothers, Claudio Frazon, they became Carlos and Acondia's best friend. They started all traveling together. But eventually, uh, but before all of that, they, these pastors humbled themselves and said, man, Carlos, can I be one of your altar workers? I'll do that. 
I would do that in 30 seconds if I saw it pop off in this city. Why? Because I'm here to rebuild. I'm here to give back. I'm not here to try to build a reputation for myself. I don't want Jesus to pass me by. I, you know, I don't want Jesus to have to go way down the road to find that person. Man, Jesus, find somebody you can use right here at 5405 West of Mercy, Jesus. Jesus, you don't got to look at Syria for that purpose. You can, you can love Syria, Jesus. You can do something great in Syria. But, Lord, I want you right here. Amen? And that's what happens in your heart when you're free because you stop thinking about yourself. It's not about you anymore. It's about the kingdom of God. Now, after they hear this, what happens? Now, remember, he's the one that showed up in their place to tell them he came to bring them freedom. They try to bring him down. He explains to them that he's not going to be their puppet. Now, what is their response? All the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. You mean you're going to tell us that a Syrian is better than us? Are you trying to say that you're passing us by? Are you trying to say you're better than us? They got mad at Jesus. They got up and drove him out of town. I've watched some of my friends in this church get driven out of their businesses. I've seen it. You can watch the video when Juan Riasco gets driven out of his business. He's walking to his car from Nini's Deli, and people are surrounding him. Get out of our town. Get out of this city. And his, his, his family lived there before any of them wanted to be there when it was all Cuban neighborhood. His family escaped from Cuba, bought up property before it was cool West Town or whatever they called it now. You know what I'm saying? They were the real OGs, and now they're saying to this man's son, get out of here. You're not down with LGBT stuff. You're not down with what we're down. Get out of here. You don't belong here. That's what they did to him. So I've watched, I can only imagine this happening in Jesus, driving Jesus out of town. People say all the time, I wish God would show himself to me. Man, last time he showed himself to us, this is what we did to him. He don't have to put himself through that every time. You know, like Jesus is going to come down and somebody's going to step up and be like, Jesus, I don't like you. I don't like what you do. No, no, you're not complaining to him like that. He already let you crucify him so he could save you. You're not going to get up in his face. Amen? The Bible says he's going to come to judge us. But notice when he was here, not judging us. When he came in compassion, when he came in kindness, they drive him out. And they took him to the brow of the hill. It wasn't even good that he was leaving the city. They took him to the brow of the hill, which is like the edge of a cliff, where, where the town was built, in order to throw him off the cliff. When people were pushing Juan out of the city and his brother and his family, they didn't even just want him to leave. They said, we want to kill you. We want you to die. Notice this. This is the response from the people that Jesus came to give freedom to. As the old saying goes, if this is how you treat your friends, I don't want to be your enemy. My goodness. You're going to cannibalize your enemy now? If that's how you treat your friend Jesus, do you go walking dead on your enemies? Think about how extreme they went on Jesus. All Jesus was offering them was freedom. A new life. A new way of doing things. And they would rather drive him off a cliff than to become free and join his cause. But thankfully, that wasn't his time. Otherwise, we'd be wearing cliffs on our neck instead of crosses. That wasn't the way he was going to die for our sins. Jesus, uh, the father's like, uh-uh, we ain't doing that. And just said, go on now, Jesus. And Jesus, the Bible says, walked right through the crowd and went on his way. So the father said, you're not dying this way. We'll, we'll do that later. And so, brothers and sisters, every single one of us, whether you were one of those that came up at the beginning to get prayed for for freedom or those like me who pray for freedom, we're all supposed to be the ones that get free and now go out and change the world. Now, I'm not the only one now, right? Everyone else can go out and do this too, amen? At the Bible studies, at the life groups, at the youth group, at our King's Kids on Wednesday night, wherever the gospel truck goes, we go out there and we reach people and we love them. One last story here in, in closing. So yesterday we were at the west side, and I saw the racist black Hebrew Israelites out there all wiling out. So I went to go talk to them, and they're always scaredy cats. They don't like to talk. They pretend like they do, but they don't. So I tried to hang out with them. And you know what they looked at me and said? They said, you are the devil, and you can't even get salvation. You can only be our slaves in the kingdom to come. Could you imagine? He was right there, right? 
That's what they told me. They didn't tell me you have a devil. They called me a devil. They dehumanized me, dehuman, said I'm a devil, and then shouted, we can't wait to put you in chains. But what did I say back to them? Man, I love you. That is stupid. Why did you say that? You know, I'm going back and forth. And I said, man, if you and I were in a car accident right now and I'm an organ donor, you would get my organ or I would get yours. Man, we are the same people. One race, the human race. God came to die for us all. But he said, oh, your ancestors didn't care about me. That's, you, you want that now, but your ancestors. I said, man, I'm not my ancestors. The Bible says in Ezekiel, he does not hold the sins of the father against the son. Do you want your sins of your father held against you? Come on, somebody. How many here want to suffer for what your mommy and daddy did wrong? I don't want to suffer that. You can't blame me for what they did, and I don't agree with it to begin with. But you see, in their religion, that's the way you treat your enemy. How did Jesus treat those who wanted to drive him off the cliff? And when you get to the end of the story of Luke and all the Gospels, Jesus goes back to a cliff, and he weeps for him. And he says, how I wished I could have gathered you in like a mother hen gathers in her chicks, but you wouldn't let me. A few days later, he's on the cross, and what does he say to them? All the mocking, all the ridicule, now they finally got their way with them. What does he say? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they do. I went home yesterday, and I prayed for those men. I said, Father, they don't know. They're angry. They're upset. They feel they've been done wrong, and they're taking it out on me. But, Father, I pray they repent and come to know and love you. Brothers and sisters, be free and go out there and set other people free. Amen? Can we stand up and give it up for Jesus today? Band and altar workers, would you come, please? If you want more prayer for something in your life that was discussed already or for something that wasn't discussed, these prayer workers are here for you. And the Bible studies are open up this week. Discipleship is ready for you. You know in our church we do a one-on-one as well. Where can you go to a gym and get a free trainer, you know? This is a church that gives out free training. I know everybody at their churches is like, man, our band is awesome. Our, our gymnasium is awesome. You know what's awesome about Metro Praise International? is our disciple makers. There's not one of you that needs to leave out of here not feeling that somebody will take you out for lunch, coffee, and disciple you today. Would you bless somebody today if they said, man, I need some help? Would you take them out? Of course. Man, would you do that, sister? Man, you would give them so much they would come home with bags today. Amen. And leftovers and plates for their family and everything. Because we love people. And we want to see what God has in store for them. What if, brothers and sisters, before we die, we see the greatest revival? the rebuilding of Chicago we've ever seen. What if we see Humble Park become a place for our children to play at night again? What if we see Belmont and Clark become a place where everyone serves and loves Jesus? What if we saw our politicians begin to serve God and do the right thing? You know where it starts? It starts right here. Because I'm not waiting for Mary, Mayor Lightfoot. I'm not waiting for my governor. I'm not waiting for them. I'm going to do it here in Jesus' name. Amen? And if God can do it on this little part of the block, like if we came here today on this part of the block, why can't he do it on that other side of the block? Why can't he do it then on that block? Amen? Do you know that right down the street a woman on two Halloweens ago was carjacked and shot in the head in front of her kids? right down on Long Street. God, bring this right over there, Lord, so it never has to happen again in the name of Jesus. Let's pray in closing. Father, we pray for this city. We pray for our brothers and our sisters. We pray for our family. We pray for our community. Lord, we pray for our nation. Come on, people, pray today that God will set us free, that whatever he did at these altars, he'll do throughout this week on our jobs. And even if they reject us and want to kill us, we won't stop in Jesus' name. We don't die. We multiply. Father, I pray for a multiplication of the sons and daughters of God in this city. That there will be a movement of your spirit. That young people will go back to purity. That abortion will be a thing of the past. That homosexuality will be rejected. That, Lord, people will love the skin that they're in and you'll use them for your glory. We know there's real problems in this nation.
But Lord, we know there's a real problem solver. And his name is Jesus Christ. He's the son of the living God. He's your son, Father. And we pray for him to move in and through our lives. A few moments before we go. Do you need freedom? Then be free in Jesus' name. Do you need today to come out of poverty? Ask God to bless you. Do you need strength to see a heart that was once broken become healed? Then ask him to heal your broken heart. And do you come here today seeking to see God move in your generation? Then ask him to proclaim the year of the favor of the Lord. Lord, we pray for your favor all over Chicago. As we get ready to leave this place, but never your presence. May those from the beginning of the service to the end, whoever got prayed for, may there be a new life to be lived now. May they not get discouraged if things don't change as quickly as they want or if they get rejected. But may they stay true to the faith because you'll never let us down. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said, can you say amen and bless him, saints? God bless you. Thank you for coming today. If you need prayer again, come on up for anything. Otherwise, have a wonderful week. Brother Juan from Miami, come on up. I'm going to have you pray for us. Feel free to be dismissed or fellowship. But before we worship, I just want my brother from Miami to pray over Chicago and Miami and Dallas where we have other churches. Father, I pray that you use the cities that Metro prays in, Chicago, Miami, Dallas. I pray right now that revival will come to our nation. As presidents, senators, congressmen will come to you, God. That the people hearts will come, Lord. Will come to, to humble themselves, just like your word says, that if my people pray, you shall hear our land. And I pray, God, that you that they will repent and they will be healed in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. That abortion will be abolished. That people will come to their senses and come back to bring the people back to the heart of God in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. We're going to close in worship, but these altars are open. Feel free to stay as long as you want. We call this the after party. Thank you guys.